0: Welcome to the BBB National Programs Podcast, Better Series, where we will explore top-of-mind topics and self-regulation with business and industry leaders. Together we seek to understand the leading trends and innovations that continue to push the envelope in today's marketplace
1: hello everyone my name is joe mariano i'm president of the direct selling association it is such a great pleasure to be able to join the national programs podcast today to talk about the all-important topic of self-regulation this is an item uh, close to the hearts of direct sellers the companies and individuals that i represent in the direct selling association or dsa uh, because we have worked so cooperatively with the bbb np now over the last number of years in establishing and then implementing our new program, not so new anymore, called the Direct Selling Self-Regulatory Council or DSSRC for short. For those of you who don't know direct selling or DSA, direct selling is the sale of products through personal explanation and demonstration in the home typically, but so always away from a fixed retail establishment. So I guess we're typified by person-to-person, face-to-face types of sales, home parties, door-to-door sales, those kinds of things. And uh, Many of the names in the American economic marketplace lexicon are well known to everybody, names like New Skin and Avon, New Avon, and Amway, Mary Kay, and other companies such as those. Uh, We're so happy to be joined today in this podcast for a discussion of the DSSRC and the importance of self-regulation and what others might be able to learn from the direct selling experience by uh, several of our key executives from the Direct Selling Association and Direct Selling World. Those include Tom Cohn. Tom is the Interim General Counsel and Corporate Secretary for New Avon, a longstanding member of the association. Brian Muir, who is Vice President uh, for Global Compliance and the Global Compliance Officer at Skin, another major, major member. And then finally, John Parker, Chief Sales Officer and Regional President West of Amway, another major member of the association. All three of these companies and these individuals, in fact, have taken leadership roles in both the creation and then the implementation of the DSA, DSSRC program done in collaboration with BBBNP. We've learned so much, so much over the last number of years uh, from the experience of BBBNP and its pre-existing self-regulation programs, and they really provided the model for this newest endeavor, uh, which has thus far, I think, been a great, great success. At the association and within the industry, we have so many companies. We have about 120 member companies right now. They represent about 85% uh, or so of total sales uh, in the United States of direct selling. We have literally millions of people who are out there selling our products and our services. And with those those entrepreneurial efforts sometimes comes a challenge, um, if you will, or a, an opportunity to make sure that we're serving our customers, but also that those independent contractor sellers are abiding by the same standards that our companies and our industry really want to adhere to. Many, many years ago, well before even our collaboration with the BBBNP, the association decided that we wanted to be the most progressive consumer-oriented trade association and industry in in the country, and indeed in the world. Because as guests typically in our customers' homes, we always felt that we had a, a greater obligation to our customers and ultimately to our the salespeople to abide by the highest level of ethics possible. So as we worked on this program, uh, we built off of the longstanding Direct Selling Association Code of Ethics, which was actually established, well, originally back in the 1940s and in its modern incarnation in the early 1970s and uh, we we looked to other self-regulatory programs, and other self-regulatory programs looked to our code, which had an independent code administrator. But we found uh, about a year ago, two years ago, as we talked to regulators and discussed this issue among ourselves, that we needed to do even more. And thus, we uh, embraced the relationship and the collaboration with the BBBNP and the creation of the DSSRC, the Direct Selling Self-Regulatory Council. I have to say, one of the pers- people that uh, was most instrumental in that creation was John Parker. John Parker, again, Chief Sales Officer and Regional President of Amway. John, you know, it, would you be insulted if I called you the father of the DSSRC?
2: <laughs> no, that actually implies something more youthful than I probably am, so I would <laughs> embrace it. Well, you—you
1: you obviously, you took a, a, a very real leadership role when you were chairman of the board of the association and creation of the DSSRC and used your position of, of leadership, you said something when we were talking about the existence of our uh, code of ethics and where we needed to go with the next step. And you said, it's time for not just evolution, but revolution. And I think that encapsulated in so many ways what we ultimately did with the DSSRC. So let me hand it to you and talk about the, your perspectives on leadership and the importance of Of advocacy for self-regulation in organizations like DSA.
2: Sure. Thanks, Joe. You know, I think you really uh, set it up uh, well in explaining uh, some of the history that led us to the point that we're at. We we obviously have been on a long journey inside of the direct selling industry as we think about how to ensure that we are serving all of the stakeholders uh, that are a part of our businesses, but that even goes beyond our businesses. So it's not just our companies and our sellers uh, and even customers, but that, that extends, you know, to the public and to regulators and uh, and others as well. And so when when we really reach that point as uh, an executive committee and a board, really more broadly, leadership in the industry. You know, we recognized that the sort of two-layered approach that we had uh, to self-regulation, which was companies sort of regulating themselves with their own rules and standards and training and enforcement, and then on top of that, what you articulated very well, Joe, which was sort of industry regulation via the Direct Selling Association and that code of ethics that you spoke to in our Independent Code Administrator. I think we realized that in a fast changing uh, marketplace and with many dynamics at play, um, we needed to really go further and, and not just be defensive about what we were doing and tell a better story about how well it was working, but really step out of our own shoes and look at our industry from a broader perspective, and understand uh, what other stakeholders thought, and really look to other industries as well to see how we could not just you know maintain the right level of self-regulation um, inside of our industry, but really leapfrog forward in a way that set a benchmark where we as an industry uh, could be looked at by other industries as being a leader uh, in being proactive in this approach. And so, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic in our industry because on one hand, it's a very entrepreneurial industry, as, as you spoke to. Joe. And it's also one that I think as an industry, we are comfortable with regulation. We are comfortable with either ourselves as an industry or a third party, you know, work on the direct selling self-regulatory council and setting the bar high and and governments as well, because I I think we feel strongly that, you know, we are in this channel uh, for the long term. Uh, We take a very long term view of our, our businesses and the responsibility that we have to our communities and our customers. And And the public and and we want to do the right thing um, as you said uh, recognizing the long-term nature of what it is that we do and i guess the final comment i'd make here is that it was so gratifying to be a part of this process and creating uh and working with the national programs team to to set up the dssrc because we really did it together as an industry uh, we brought together a very diverse group of leadership within the industry, both to work through understanding what the issues were we were trying to solve, uh, working together and engaging with each other in what potential solutions could look like. And as you said, ensuring that we weren't just um, you know tweaking at the edges, but we were actually making significant change that would move the needle in a meaningful way. And doing it together such that, you know, we were bringing in outside perspective from other industries um, and, and others outside of uh, sort of our ecosystem and then designing and implementing those solutions uh, in a way that uh, was really showed commitment from the industry and also to some extent, you know, handing off that additional layer of self-regulation to an independent third party that would, uh, you know, play the role going forward. So we're very excited about the, the point we have arrived at. You know, we certainly recognize that this uh, program will get even better over time and we're committed as an industry to, uh, moving forward in a way that, uh, uh, creates a better experience for uh, all the stakeholders
3: that I referenced before.
1: That's great, thanks, John. I, and I think you know your involvement. I called you the father of the of the program, but actually, that's a little bit of a, a misstatement because it's not as if you and as you in your role as chairman of the board or Amway as a leading company in the association in the industry just waved a wand and said, "We're going to do this." Right? Instead, it was a, a multi-year process of working not only with our friends at the BBBNP. But within the industry and the leadership, and it wasn 't you mentioned the executive committee and the board it wasn 't just the executive committee and the board saying we 're going to do this. It really was a matter of consensus building over a period
2: of several years right absolutely you know I think this was an example of uh, you know if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, you know go together and and build that consensus and and, and work through it together and you 're exactly right we had members of the board that were not on the executive committee, we had members of the executive committee, and we reached outside of that board structure as well to ensure that we were drawing in uh, a diversity of thought and experiences and perspectives uh, such that the commitment and the path forward was one that we were not just committed to, but that we were passionate about the, the need to do it and ensuring that, you know, we went through a process up front of identi- identifying some kind of guiding principles that, that ultimately led us to the BBB national programs recognizing that uh, they were able to deliver against the, uh, you know, against the outcomes we were looking for. And it did take time. It took a lot of effort and energy and uh, communication and discussion and debate, but it clearly was worthwhile uh, given given the place we arrived at.
1: Yeah, and I recall that you and your capacity as chairman and other dele- delegates from other companies, as well as representatives of the BBBMP those during the creation of the process and then during our the transition before we actually uh, started work together with DSA management staff, we traveled around the country, met with groups of, of interested individuals. We went not only to members of the association, but also to non-members uh, because the program does apply to all direct selling companies, whether they're members of the association or not. Uh, And that consensus building and familiarization was so important, and the confidence building as well in the BBBNP and our partners there. Uh, who would be, in fact, implementing and ultimately enforcing the program. So, Brian Muir uh, from new Skin, uh you have a in- unique perspective as a global compliance officer. At-, at its heart, this is all about compliance, right? And yet, it's a new program or has been a new program, so it took a, a while for everyone to become familiar. In fact, I think we're still becoming familiar and transitioning in the implementation and, and compliance uh, with the program. And now even specific guidance that we're receiving from the staff of the BBBMP on, on a variety of issues of importance to direct sellers, right? So what's what's your experience been?
3: Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here today and appreciate the DSA and BB national programs for, for putting this on. Um, I, I just want to quickly say, too, I have served on the local board of directors for Utah uh, and, and Northern Nevada, as well as the National Partners Council. And the relationship that I've had, the key learnings that I've had, have really greatly assisted me here in my compliance efforts at NuSkin. So thank you to BBB National Programs. Um, As it concerns the DSSRC guidance on earnings claims, for for NuSkin, while there has been a transition, um, it it has helped us, though, reaffirm what we're doing from a self-regulatory perspective, as well as guidance that we've attempted to provide our distributors over the past several years, especially as it relates to opportunity and earnings claims. And let me maybe just provide a little bit of context or background behind that. We had started um, a few years ago, going back to 2016, early 2017, really working on opportunity and product testimonial guidelines. Now, these are standalone documents we worked on. They're incorporated by reference into our PMP. But we realized that we were going to need to have the ability to quickly adapt to changes, changes in the marketplace, um, changes to guidance and regulations. Um, and have the ability to provide timely and meaningful content to our distributors. One thing that I greatly appreciate about the um, guidance on earnings claims document is the examples. It's one thing that we found to be really important, Joe, in our compliance efforts moving forward to be able to provide examples of how you potentially take a problematic post and make it okay, if you will. One thing that we've always tried to educate and train our distributors on is when you're posting, look at the picture, look at the text and the hashtags, and look what happens when you put that together. Because in some cases, we know the picture is a problem. In some cases, we know text and hashtags could be an issue. And sometimes it's a greater problem when you put all of that together. And so as we've gone back and as we're engaging in, in implementing the new guidance document on earnings claims, we like to be able to affirm that what we've been doing it aligns with the guidance, the DSSRC, the DSA, and others. And, and that affirmation has been important as we've moved forward into our education and training efforts into 2020. Um, the one thing that has been extremely important for, for me, especially as we've engaged in that training, the revised guidance that we received, I think it was in June, it has really allowed us a, a, a platform to re-engage on these issues, if you will, with our distributors, and, and even highlight the partnership that we have with BBB national programs, with the DSSRC, as we're working really to convey um, this important guidance to our distributor force. I would say too, going back to February of this year, um, uh, pre-COVID when we had compliance officer meetings in Arizona, uh, I know members of the DSA, Peter Marinella was there. And and it was great to have alignment around the fact that this document would be forthcoming or, or guidelines would be forthcoming. The sharing of best practices, um, speaking from a compliance perspective, I always enjoy getting together with people who, who do what I do. The learnings that we can take for that and, and that I can then provide to my team are really important. But, but what I enjoyed at that meeting um, was the desire to collectively align around self-regulation to help set standards for marketplace trust within our industry. And, and so, it, again, that for me was, was a very important meeting. Um, you know, I note in the guidance on earnings claims document and I think it's on the first page. Um, I, I believe it's under purpose, where it discusses that one of the greatest challenges that we have um, as direct sales companies is ensuring that our salespeople utilize earnings and opportunity claims in, in a correct manner. And, and I don't argue that that, in fact, is is often difficult. But I would also argue, and I think my my team would 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 sh- would share in my thought on this that one of the challenges that they have is when they receive questions is, why is this company doing this? Or why is this company saying this and we can't? And those are often very difficult questions to answer. And so I think as we align around this document, as we um, share best practices, as we implement um, the guidance that we're receiving concerning earnings and opportunity claims, my hope is, is that as a direct selling industry, that we can continue to align around this document that we can make real and meaningful changes and that, again, that we can continue to set a standard for marketplace trust in our industry and beyond our industry as well.
1: Great remarks. You, you mentioned Peter Marinello. Peter is, of course, the executive director of the DSSRC, longtime uh, executive with self-regulatory programs at uh, at the BBB and its predecessor, so brought, has brought a lot of experience to that. With regard to this transition, let me ask you a question, Brian. Um you talked about this, you know, collective will to self-regulate and, and make a change in real and agree on important standards. Was there any kind of reluctance, either from people in the independent sales force—literally the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of salespeople that we have uh, per company—or, uh, for that matter, your colleagues uh, in the executive and management team of the company, to saying, you know, why are we doing this? Why should we be working with other companies with an outside third-party entity? Uh, rather than just relying upon our own uh, internal standards at our individual company?
3: I would say there there wasn't. And and I would go back to some of the kind of key learnings that we've tried to provide really over the past couple of years with with a primary focus on reputation. And so as we move forward, Joe, in, in, in discussing the document, implementing the document, making sure that people both, again, within the company and distributors and distributor leadership outside the company were aware of this document, We really did it with a focus on reputation, not only reputation for Nu Skin, but reputation for the industry as a whole. So we really approached it in that manner. And and, and once we did that, distributor leadership, executive management, um, our, our sales and business teams were able to easily understand the good that this can do for us individually as a company as well as the good that this does for our industry as a whole. And again, setting those standards for marketplace trust. We, we really want to be out there making sure that we're you know role models, we're calling out any potentially inappropriate behavior, and that we're really conducting ourselves in a trustful and, 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 and in a correct manner.
1: It's a little bit of enlightened self-interest, isn't it? I mean, uh, and I think everybody understood that, and we can get into that a little bit more Uh, As we go forward in some of the Q and A, since you focused on the guidance in this uh, this document that's been provided by the DSSRC to the entire industry, in this case about earnings representations and the things that distributors and companies can and and should say, and those things that they shouldn't say about earnings, I think it's important to note, right, that uh, the DSSRC staff, uh, Peter Marinello, his colleague Howard Smith they reached out. And again, this wasn't something that came from on high and was just handed down ex catheter, as they say, but instead was really an effort to reach out to companies like yours and talk about these standards to get a real world sense of what they would mean and how they could best be crafted. Isn't that right?
3: Absolutely. That collaboration and partner partnership I, w- was extremely meaningful. I know for myself and my team, being able to Um, work together, if you will, in that partnership. And and the collaboration and input from other companies, as as John had mentioned as well, the conversations that I've had with other compliance people at other companies, that collaboration for me, again, Peter, Howard, other companies has been extremely important as we move forward with the document. And again, the transitioning and implementation that, that we're talking about.
1: Well, I think you know we have an advantage uh, because we have a long history as an association, the Direct Selling Association, and our culture has been to share. Not every association, not every industry, has that same degree of community. But I think as an example to other industries and associations, actually. Creating that sense of culture and an enlightened self-interest working together can be extraordinarily important in any number of arenas, but particularly in self-regulation. Let's move to a, a member company and a more legal perspective. Tom Cohn is interim general counsel and corporate secretary for New Avon, as I mentioned. And Tom, you bring to this an interesting perspective because you you have a regulatory background, but you've been extraordinary extraordinarily competent counsel, private counselor. Um, in-house counsel for uh, a private sector company as well. So I know you've got some perspective and you want to bring the others into this discussion as well.
4: Um, sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, yes, my background is that I, I worked at the Federal Trade Commission for over 17 years, including as the regional director in uh, New York. And uh, then I, from there, I went to law firms and now in-house counsel. In, in terms of this pro- this new program, I mean, it had a great start and I And being on the steering committee, uh, along with others, to help uh, devise the program together with uh, the BBB was a great experience because I, in the past, had uh, worked with uh, the National Advertising Division, which was the first such self-regulatory program the BBB ever uh, instituted, like about 40-plus years ago. And the FTC is the number one cheerleader for the NAD as a model of self-regulation. So we're very lucky to have Peter... Um, who has an extensive background in both NAD and another organization, Electronic self Self-Regula- uh, Retailing Self-Regulatory Program that he ran for many years. So we're very fortunate that Peter was instrumental in working hand-in-glove with us to um, to help devise this program and to follow those good models that the NAD set you know, many years ago, both in terms of setting up the rules of practice and how it was going to work and what the procedures would be from start to finish for... Uh, reviewing a particular claim or a particular company as to their product and earnings claims. So it's been a great experience. And um, based on how they've set it up and and gone running since April last year, um, I think they've done a great job. I mean, personally for Avon, I'll let Brian and Uh, John speak for their companies, but it's been viewed by Avon very favorably. Um, I like their reports they've done so far for both 2019 and uh, first half of 2020 to summarize their monitoring and their casework and giving a really good snapshot of uh, what they've accomplished so far, both in terms of the nature of the cases and what types of cases they've had. Generally, it's been viewed very favorably by us, and I would toss it to to Brian Muir and John uh, Parker to give their viewpoints on in terms of how it's been viewed by they and other DSA members.
3: Yeah, speaking for Newskin, I, I I would say the same, Tom. I mean, it, it's been very favorably. Um, I I think I appreciate, much like you, the transparency with the DSSRC seeing what they've done. And so, again, from our side, extremely helpful.
4: Great. And, uh, John, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, very much the same reaction uh, here at Amway uh, for all the same reasons. You know, I'd, I'd also add that, you know, while... This whole process was new to us, uh, both as a company and as an industry. We certainly have heard initial uncertainty from other industry companies that has really, I think, uh, very much blossomed into both an understanding um, of the why and also really seeing the value and appreciating uh, the work that's being done by the DSSRC and, uh, um, I, I think, uh Really good communication has been critical to that. So uh, you know, I think all all the way around, it's been very well received.
4: The other topic I wanted to just briefly touch on is consistency of legal precedent. I think uh, DSSRC has done a great job uh, following um, the lead of both the NED, the National Advertising Division, and the FTC with respect to product claims. They have a long history over at NAD of uh, reviewing product claims, national advertising claims, and they bring all that experience to bear and they, they really do follow uh, and They're very consistent with how both NAD and how FTC views product claims and that they be truthful and non-misleading and that there be substantiation for those claims. And Peter has done a great job of maintaining that consistency of legal precedent. And when it comes to earnings claims, They've also done a very good job on uh, f- taking the FTC endorsement and testimonial guides and closely following them in terms of how earnings claims are conveyed and and when uh, atypical results are claimed expressly or by implication that they're that uh, the company have substantiation for what the generally expected results are and actually disclose those generally expected result when they do have, uh, an atypical claim that, that could be viewed as a generally expected claim when it comes to earnings. So I think they've done a very good job there, too. The only, non, uh, the only halfway critical comment I, I would make is when it came to COVID this year, DSSRC issued a, a statement about COVID claims um, with respect to products, and it was, it was a very good uh, press release on, on how they were going to uh, view product claims with respect to COVID and coronavirus. Um, I, I would like, I would have liked, or maybe would still like, for DSSRC to issue a similar statement or release about how they're going to view opportunity or earnings claims with respect to COVID. Peter and DSSRC have, have launched a, a monitoring effort with respect to COVID claims, and um, having, having received a couple of those uh, emails from Peter, we had not on products but on opportunity claims. Um, I did note that they're kind of out in front of. FTC a bit. Uh, FTC's warning letters this year noted outlandish, atypical, exaggerated earnings claims that were tied in with COVID, like, you know, replace the job you lost and earn this great amount of money or whatever. That's totally consistent with with what FTC is saying. And I commend Peter for all the monitoring he's doing for those types of earnings claims. But if he is equating any mention of COVID at all with something that needs monitoring or, or correcting, uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there it's more of a business decision in terms of tastefulness, in terms of uh, mentioning COVID while mentioning your opportunity. There are ways to marry those two in a way that does not actually trigger any of the six. Types of earnings claims that the DSSRC states in their own guidance document, general principles two A through F. So, to the extent he's gotten out in front of FTC there, maybe that could be corrected with a, um, a similar statement from DSSRC on on COVID uh, related opportunity claims. So, I would I would welcome that from DSSRC. But but with that, um, I think. Uh, it's a success story all the way around. DSA members view the program so far very positively, and by and large, they are being really consistent with NAD and FTC uh, precedent.
1: Our friends at the DSSRC made a point of, in the guidance on earnings claims and in their enforcement actions and decisions, looking also to industry standards, right? I mean, the existing code of ethics and, and the, the case law, if you will, that existed there, uh, right. and. What- very closely with our existing code administrator, our independent code administrator. So uh, a, a lot to unpack there, Well, let's get into a little bit back and forth if we can. Don uh, Parker, let me get back to you. Lest everybody thinks that, you know, oh, we were just such wonderful, noble people and we wanted and were committed to doing the right thing, which we were, that wasn't the only motivation here, right? There were outside forces that were really attacking the industry and questioning our existing self-regulatory actions, right?
2: Yeah, exactly right, Joe. Um, and those uh, came at us from a, a variety of sort of perspectives, um, and you know, without diving too far into the detail of that, I think what it brought to our attention is that our perspective on uh, you know the the strength and the robustness of the existing self-regulatory framework that we had in place uh, was one that we did need, in fact. To, you know, step back from and put fresh eyes on. And, you know, I spoke earlier to the number of stakeholders, you know, that this is uh, happening in an environment where we have private companies and public companies. We have uh, regulators at the federal state, local levels. Uh, We have outside, um, you know, consumer groups and other organizations um, you know that are are watching our industry, and all of this was happening against a backdrop of um, you know emerging activity um, in social media and frankly significant changes in the competitive landscape that direct selling operates in so you know really from a, a timing perspective, it made sense, and the process that we went through. Um, was one that obviously extended well outside of the industry as we looked at best practices from other industries and potential partners and then, you know, landed with uh, BBBNP. But I, I think it was really getting our eyes up and not just looking at the horizon, but looking around sort of, you know, 360 degrees to understand the full context of how, uh, the marketplace had evolved and and how, you know, the stakeholder group that we were speaking to had, is, to your point, had broadened quite a bit.
1: The rest of the group, I would like to ask one of those principles that we talked about from the beginning, and frankly, one of the flaws of our pre-existing program had to do with the transparency or lack thereof of the the, the decisions and the complaints and the issues that might have arisen there. And so one of the important elements of this and one of the things, frankly, that we struggled with was how to make this transparent to not only outside observers but people within the industry so that there was confidence that things were actually being taken care of when problems did arise without necessarily indicting companies or putting them uh, in a, in a arguably bad position because of information about complaints, whether they were merited or not. Um, Tom, you talked about the NAD and the advertising self-regulatory industry. I think we took a lot from that with regard to the value of transparency, right?
4: Yes, we did very much. Yeah, and, and NAD is, is quite transparent um, in their decisions and their reasoning and how they arrive at their decisions, both in analyzing claims and disclaimers and disclosures that are used to qualify those claims. Yeah, they've done a great job over the years, the decades of uh, being very transparent about their entire process.
1: And I think we've seen uh, in our program now with the BBB MP and the DSSRC is that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we issue reports uh, both internally to the industry uh, as well as publicly and then, of course, to the various constituent uh, local BBBs uh, to get information about what's happening in the industry and uh, with the goal of not not pointing the finger at any particular company or individual who may have engaged in some arguable violation, but rather to build confidence in the program and the industry. And thus far, it seems to have worked uh, pretty well. Brian, let me come back to you, if I can. Uh, from From an individual company perspective and a compliance officer perspective, what's been the biggest challenge of the program, not just the implementation of the program, but now sort of Having this new entity that that's out there that is uh, looking over and scrutinizing things that are going on in the marketplace.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a, a challenge, Joe. For, for from my perspective, again speaking speaking for compliance here at new Skin, for me, all of the help we can get, the better. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of issues at any particular given time, and so being able to. It, as I mentioned previously, have that interaction with with Peter and Howard, being able to have that relationship, knowing that there's somebody out there that is assisting us in, in really our self-regulatory efforts and ensuring that our sales force is doing what they should be doing, I think is appreciated from our side and the relationship that I've had with our local BBB, with Jane Rupp and with Jody Young, having that interaction so that if, if something um, happens... Um, I know that I have somebody to reach out to and I have somebody out there that's really looking out um, for, for the consumer as well as us as well and giving us an opportunity to interact with individuals um, that may have concerns or some of our salespeople that may have published or said something that they shouldn't. And so it again, for, for, for me, I think it's it's been an assistance to us as we've moved forward in this. There have been challenges, if you will, and, and again, going back to the comment that is is stated in the guidance document, you know one of the challenges when you have thousands of distributors is ensuring that everybody is compliant. I don't think that that will change. That's a challenge that we will continue to face moving forward. But again, I, I go back to something I said earlier. My hope is as we as we have guidance in the industry, like like we're seeing from this guidance on earnings claims is we continue to engage collectively as member companies, as a DSA, through the DSSRC. That we can help set those standards, and set the standards for marketplace trust, and again continue to better ourselves individually as companies and as an industry as a whole.
1: John Parker, let me build on the challenge theme. Not so much the challenge of implementation of the program within a company once it existed, but the challenge of actually creating this. Remember, we've got executives from other industries here. So, um, what can they learn? What, what challenges did you have as the leader of this effort as we went forward in basically bringing the industry together?
2: Really good question, Joe. I, I think. Uh, for any of us in our roles as executives and companies, you know, we're used to sort of hierarchy and a decision-making process that allows us to, you know, just move faster, make decisions and move forward. And and this process is different by its very nature. It's much more about, um, you know, building a common understanding of the need And then genuinely engaging and collaborating with each other to develop the ultimate solutions. And, you know, it takes time and it takes, um, you know, it's funny thinking about it in the context of the world we live in now. But at that point, it took getting together in rooms to have conversations and really almost workshop through uh, potential solutions and so forth. You know, now we do that virtually, of course. (laughs) I guess the one uh, lesson that you know really uh, was helpful and kind of resonated with me was the need to early on agree on sort of key principles that would get, guide our decision-making process uh, going forward. And and really, that is very much about creating uh, both uh, a common context and understanding you know the outcome and the impact we were looking to have. Um, that then, for me, and, and I, I believe for others that were a part of the process as well, it freed us up from the need to have to push specific ideas or tactics, uh, because in the end, it wasn't about you know me getting my way on a specific element of the design. Rather, it was about you know working together in a way that produced a solution on the back end that that would work for all stakeholders and would have, you know, that impact that we were looking for in those front end principles. So it certainly required uh, patience. And as you spoke to earlier, uh, a time commitment. Um, and it also took, frankly, a lot of informal conversations to bring others along Uh, more broadly in the industry, so they didn't feel like we were doing it to them, uh, but we ensured that they felt, you know, represented inside of the group that was working on it and informed along the way, and that those trips that you described around the country where we would both share the direction and where we were headed and listen to the input of others um, was critical to, uh, I, I think, Uh, that outcome, and ultimately the lessons we learned in um, dealing with those difficulties.
1: I think you're right. The articulation of those uh, straightforward principles at the beginning, which gave everybody sort of a a landing place uh, from which they had confidence. Uh, was very important then as we went forward trying to develop the specifics of the program so that everybody knew we were at least coming from the, the same part, point of view uh, to begin the process. And it was extraordinarily helpful. One other challenge that was we knew from the beginning would be a challenge is making sure that there was industry total industry support. In fact, the FTC has said that in any self-regulatory program, to have uh, buy-in from the entirety of the industry, certainly the entirety of the association is important, that reflects itself in one way um, in and co- paying for the, the the program and resources. This was not an insignificant, and is not an insignificant commitment on the part of the industry
2: financially, right? Absolutely, and and that was something that you know even prior to bringing a group together, you know, to identify how we would develop the ultimate solution. It, it really was necessary for you know key leaders in the industry to step forward and say i don't know what this will cost but this is something we are committed to and you can count on us and our company to uh, be a part of that and you know that was something that played out uh, over time and ultimately in a board meeting uh, where literally people were stepping forward saying you know i will commit X amount of dollars to this program for this period of time. Um, and, you know, you can count on us uh, in this process going forward. And, and it was, uh, I think that shared commitment, not just of will abide by, you know, what comes out of, you know, what became the DSSRC, but the commitment to pay for it um, on top of other industry commitments inside of our organization that were significant that you know that that was uh, I think the ultimate uh, of companies putting their money where their mouth was and really demonstrating not just that we 'll go along but that that we 'll lead and make it happen
1: Brian, you know you weren 't party to the initial discussion that John described before when the executive committee and others got together and said hey, we need to move in this direction strongly. Um, but one of the things that I pointed out to that group at the time was, okay, this is great, uh, but you have, are you truly willing to do two things, uh, to put the resources towards whatever uh, we, we create, and secondly, to give up some measure of control uh, because your companies could in fact be on the, uh, the painful end uh, if it comes to that of uh, some kind of you know, uh, remedial action or discipline or decision by the DSSRC or what became the DSSRC. Of course, to a man and a woman, they said, yes, we are willing to do both of those things. But now that we've sort of found ourselves in the middle of it, um, when a company does find itself on the on the wrong end, if you will, uh, of this, is it painful and, and is, it, is it as acceptable and okay as... We thought it would be.
3: I think again, you know, speaking to the challenges that you had asked about a little bit earlier, I think you know, going through all the work that, that it took to get the guidelines, the collaboration, communication between companies, the commitment to the monetary aspect that was just referenced, um, the agreement on what the guidance would be, to, to me, those the challenges moving forward are are still going to remain. Um, you know, being able to agree upon new guidance, new guidelines moving forward. Um, making sure that we're remaining consistent in the enforcement, the dedication of the monetary aspects, and, and realizing that as part of this process, that you could potentially be caught in that web, so to speak. Realizing that, again, you know, speaking from a compliance perspective, that despite all of our efforts and all the work that we do that we're going to probably have salespeople that may be out there doing things or saying things that they shouldn't be saying. And, and I think, you know, from a transparency standpoint, again, it's important to, 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 to demonstrate that to show that the actual work is happening. But, but I also think, you know, we, we can't have both sides of this. We've got to realize in order to appropriately self-regulate, in order to set standards to protect ourselves individually, as well as the industry as a whole, that the only way that we can better ourselves is by being called out when we have certain issues or problems that we need to address and and make sure that we as companies and that our salespeople remain compliant given the guidance, given the standards that we've been provided. Well, lest everybody think
1: that our listeners think that, you know, the industry was rife with problems. I mean, we had had and still have a robust self-regulatory program in our code of ethics, separate and apart from the creation of the DSSRC. But we recognized that we had to do more, at the very least deal with whatever problems really existed in the marketplace, but also the perception that was out there uh, from regulators and others that we needed to do more um, because of the issues of transparency and the like. How do you think we've affected the perception of regulatory agencies and, and other observers As to whether we're serious and whether we are, in fact, addressing real concerns or perceived problems in direct selling?
4: Good question. I I think we've affected it somewhat, but not enough yet. Um, I feel that the FTC, in particular, the Division of Marketing Practices that brings um, multi level marketing investigations and cases, I, I think they want us to do even more. They want to see more teeth. They want to see more buy-in, more enforcement. They've made it very clear that they're gonna to continue to expect more from us in terms of uh, self-regulation and both uh, on the code side in-house and also on the DSSRC side. Um, we have a long way to go before we get to the NAD point where you know, they implicitly you know, love and revere and trust us and say, this is great, you know, we're your biggest cheerleader. I think it's still in its infancy and we can continue to do more to show the FTC and the the regulators that we mean business and uh, we're putting our money and our efforts where our mouth is. Great observations.
1: And I think, you know, we have made great progress, but there is a lot more to do. And uh, we will continue to work, of course, with the BBBNP. Eric Rice in there is, is president of the BBBNP. And of course, the folks at the DSSRC to, to do that and to demonstrate uh, our, our bona fides. We've gotten great results. We've gotten great reviews. But it's important to note, I think, here that the creation of a self-regulatory program is not some silver bullet that addresses all problems in the marketplace. Uh, It's never intended to to do that. We'd love it to, but it it can't. That's not a real-world solution, whether it's the NAD, uh, the DSSRC, the DSA Code of Ethics, or other similar self-regulatory programs. But what they can do is address problems, give another vehicle to solve some of those problems and build confidence uh, within the industry and with outside observers that the industry takes its obligations uh, seriously. And importantly, while not completely forestalling regulatory action or uh, legislative solutions to concerns, uh, it lessens the need for those regulatory actions and those those legislative answers. And uh, again, that's a model I think we can be used by other industries, other associations in looking at our program and other self-regulatory programs, those administered by the BBB, NP, and others. Well, gentlemen, it's been um, a great discussion. I have really appreciated listening to you. I hope our audience has taken away something about this. Again, it's it's a wonderful collaboration between the Direct Selling Association and the BBB national programs. Uh, We hope to continue this relationship for quite a while and protect consumers, protect our distributors and salespeople, and the interests of the public and, of course, our companies. So John Parker of Amway, thank you so much. Tom Cohn of the New Avon Company, thank you so much. And Brian Muir of uh, new Skin, thank you again for your contributions and your discussion. I look forward to working with you and to our friends at the BBBNP. Thank you. With that, I will say goodbye and um, best of luck. Everyone stay healthy.
0: You just enjoyed the Better Series podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To learn more about our other shows, visit betterbusiness.blueberry.com. That's betterbusinessb Follow us on Twitter at BBB underscore NTL programs. Send your comments and ideas to podcast at bbbnp.org. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB national programs or its affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Blueberry's Terms of Service.